Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. This morning I want to talk to you a little bit about something that's really on my heart and uh, begin by just asking you a question. Who in your life is the voice for the hurting? Who in your life is the voice for the person who is lost, especially spiritually lost? You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his key purpose for coming down here onto planet Earth. And, and so often in our lives, we have key voices uh, playing into our hearts, minds, into our ears. I'm sure many of you have children who remind you of their needs. They, they have a voice into your heart and mind. You have spouses that have a voice into your heart and who call for your time, for your effort, uh, for, for you to set aside plans to be with them. You have friends, you have bosses. There are a lot of voices that sound off in our ear and tug on our hearts and minds. You know that Crosswalk has called itself since the very beginning a church for unchurched people. And that's because our vision has always been to be a voice for the hurting, a voice for the suffering, and in particular, a voice for those who are spiritually lost, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so this morning, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that vision and some of the next steps that we're planning to continue to be that voice and to ask you, because we are Crosswalk, to ask you to, first of all, remember to be a voice for the lost. In today's busy world, it's so easy to forget that there are hurting people out there, unless maybe you have a family member or a friend who is hurting, and then maybe when you hear from them or you see them, you're reminded of their hurt and their spiritual lostness. At Crosswalk, we've committed to be that voice, and that means... All of us, we have committed to be that voice and to remember that there are people who are headed for hell. One of our other sayings is we want to make it hard to go to hell from Levine and from South Phoenix and, in fact, from, from, from the whole city of Phoenix. We want our vision is to reach out into this whole city with the gospel of Jesus so that people can know about the forgiveness of sins about the power to lead a transformed life, and about the resurrection from the dead. We're heading into that season called Easter. And we'll be celebrating the powerful, powerful day on which Jesus rose from the grave to to show us that there is hope for all of us in our lives. So I'm asking you this morning to consider, are you willing to be a voice? into our lives here to keep us as a church on cue and reminded this is what we're about. People who are spiritually lost without Jesus headed toward eternal death. And furthermore, the final question I want to ask you is, not only are you willing to remember, not only are you willing to be a voice for the lost, but are you willing to act? 
there's some things that we're hoping to accomplish in this next year. And I can tell you that we're not going to be able to accomplish all of them unless we as an entire congregation get behind this vision of being God's voice for the lost in our city. And, and, and what, what that means, what I, what I mean when I say get behind it, is not just talking about it, not just feeling it in our hearts, but, but actually stepping up, raising our hands and saying, I'm willing to take action. This morning, I'm going to give you two key actions that I want you to consider. One is that for us to, to meet this vision we continue to, to have financial needs as a congregation. And we did the numbers, and we came up with a very, very simple way of looking at this. That if each person values this vision, each person who attends our church every Sunday values this vision enough to, to place an additional $5 bill into the offering plate each Sunday, we would have absolutely no trouble meeting our vision and getting this word out to the lost. In my wallet, I have a $5 bill. And I think about the things that, you know, I could easily spend this $5 bill on without much thought. And I think about the voices in my life that are competing for this $5 bill. I can tell you that if one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, do you have a spare five bucks? I wouldn't even think twice about it. If my wife came up to me and said, do you have a spare five dollars in your wallet? I'd say, sure, honey. Here it is. What I'm asking you to remember is who's the voice for the lost? Who, who will ask you to say, do you think this vision for Crosswalk is worth five more dollars a week so that our, our vision can be realized? That's what I want you to pray about. Julie and I have talked about this, and we've discussed this, and I want to be the first to step up. To be honest, we, we thought that for us, five dollars is not enough. I'm going to double that and then a little more. I'm going to, I myself am going to put $12.50 more a week in the offering place. Julie is going to put $12.50 more per week in the offering plate. Between the two of us, $25 more per week. Because we want to set the tone. We want to be the example. I hope that doesn't sound like boasting. But I am so sold out for the vision of this church. And I want to be a voice for the lost. One last thing. One last concrete step. Reach inside your program and pull out your offering envelope. You notice general offering. That's where that five dollar needs five dollars needs to go to so that we can so that we can reach out and do the, the basic things that we want to do to meet our vision. But right below that you notice something called the Moving Mountains Fund. We haven't talked a lot about that recently. The Moving Mountains Fund is a fund in which we're gathering, saving money, setting it aside so that we can call another pastor here at Crosswalk. A pastor who will be a discipleship pastor. One who will help us take our growth groups to the next level, our class system to the next level. And really when you think about it, if, if our vision is for the hurting and the lost in this community, there is nothing more important than people 
getting into this book, studying it, and understanding the grace that God has for them. That's what that discipleship pastor is all about, to take this congregation to the next level and being able to dig into God's word, the Bible, and be touched by the grace that God has had for us in Christ. So the two concrete actions I'm asking you to consider as you step alongside of me and the staff and say, we want to be a voice for the lost in this community is, will you consider putting a little bit more, maybe $5, into the offering plate every week? And will you consider a special gift to our Moving Mountains Fund so that we can begin to set aside some more money for that discipleship pastor to come? Our hope is to be able to call him in the next 6 to 12 months. And so we're going to have to get moving. We, we, we have about twenty. $22,000 set aside for him right now from your previous gifts. And now we want to get to the next level. Thank you for listening to me on this. Let's open up our Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four this morning. And while you're opening up your Bibles, will you also do this? Pull out your crosswalk notes because this will enable you to follow along in the message this morning. Here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We've been talking about relationships in the 21st century, face-to-face, and how things have changed, how difficult it is really now in today's world to, uh, to, to keep relationships going. But I think there's something that goes back to the, to the very beginning of time that can be so destructive of our relationships and yet so difficult to fix because it gets to the very core of who we are in our hearts, and that is how we handle our anger. One of the very first sins described in the Bible is a story about the very first two brothers Two brothers named Cain and Abel. And how Cain became frustrated, then angry, then bitter with his brother, and ended up by murdering him. And I want to start off today's message by asking a simple question. Can you think back to a time when you were really, really, really angry? You remember a situation or an event in your life that just really set you off 
And if you're visualizing that, if you're thinking about that right now, guess what your body's beginning to do? It's already beginning to get ramped up. Just thinking about that thing when you got angry. I, I tried to remember the time when I probably was the angriest I have ever been in my whole entire life. And boy, I can tell you, it was not pleasant to think about that. For me, I was in sixth grade. I, uh, I had had a, a pretty good life growing up, really. Now, things were not perfect. My, my dad, as I've shared with you before, had a drinking problem. My mom and dad had split up uh, on brief occasions. But in sixth grade, it became clear that their marriage was not going to survive. And all those times of playing baseball with my dad in the backyard when he came home from his work as a cash register repairman, those were going to end. The wonderful summer camping trips up on the Mogollon Rim, those, those weren't going to be anymore. Our family was not going to be pitching that tent together anymore. And my, my dad was never again going to be taking me to the fishing hole to show me how to bait my hook again. And I remember when my parents told me that they were getting a divorce and my dad moved to California. And then I don't know exactly how far into the process it was. They were already beginning to file for divorce and so on and so forth. My dad came back for a weekend visit from California, and he ended up staying at our house. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and hearing my parents arguing. I, I don't know what time it was, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I, I lay there in bed, and I, and I could hear it. It wasn't real loud. It was soft, but you could hear in the tone of their voice that they were angry and upset with one another and, and hurt. And I listened, and it went on, and it went on, and, and I could feel inside of myself the anger just beginning to well up. And I, I told myself, just sit here, don't do anything. I put my pillow over my head. I tried to ignore it, but the anger just built up and built up. And I was, I was a little bit afraid to go out there because I, I didn't know how my dad would react, but finally it just burst out of me. I couldn't stop. I got up out of bed and I went out and I just laid in to my dad. Laid into him for for his drinking, laid into him for his leaving us, laid into him for his not uh, being able to get along with my mom. And my mom also came in for a few choice words because she was not perfect either. And I let it all just spew out, all that anger. I don't think I had ever been angrier in my life up to that point. I don't think I've ever been angrier since. And when it was all done, when I, had, when I had let all that anger out, I remember just walking out the front door, sitting down on the front porch of our house at 1 or 2 in the morning, whatever it was, just bowing my head into my knees and crying. Have you ever been that angry? I can tell you when you get angry like that, it's... It, it doesn't go away. It's, it's with you for the rest of your life. And, and, um, and you may even end up, as, as I did, struggling with how to, to manage your anger. And that's why I think 
what God brings into our lives, the transforming power of Jesus Christ, the amazing power of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and minds to be able to change things that are so deeply embedded in us is amazing, really, when you think about it, that there is hope for change, hope for forgiveness, hope that we can move past the events and the circumstances in our lives that we want to hold on to and say, I, I'm never going to be able to forgive that. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning is what, what does the Bible have to say about how we deal with our anger and, and what, we, what we should do when, when we feel this? Because I'm guessing I'm not the only one who's gone through life with some anger issues. You know, I, I, uh, I think it's kind of interesting because when I look at myself, I find I'm tempted to sort of react when I, when I react wrongly, sinfully to my anger. I, I do kind of one of two extreme things. I either spew or I stew. Do you find that? You know, you just kind of sit there and you're boiling. It's like a volcano underneath there, but you don't want to erupt. You don't want to spew. And so you, you just sit there and it just rolls around in your mind, your heart, even in your gut. Most of us, I think, have dealt with those kinds of things. And to find that beautiful, sweet spot in the middle, right? Where when we have anger, we're able to step back from it. First of all, because we're sinful and say, do I really have a right to this anger? As sinners, there are often times, and we have to admit this, where unlike God, our anger is not all that righteous, and we get angry and upset about things that we really ought not to be all that angry and upset about. Or we make mountains out of molehills. And to be able to step back from our anger and, and to be selective. Selective not only about our words. Selective not only about our actions, spewing or stewing. But also selective about our emotions. And that's really one of the first things that God teaches us here. I want you to look back at Ephesians chapter 4. And look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is going to be the centerpiece of what we're going to talk about this morning. So I want you to underline this, star it, asterisk it, circle it, whatever you want to do with it. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. When you just take, that's, that's going to be the core of what we're going to talk about. Because what this is really saying is mimic God in how you deal with your emotions, your anger, your forgiveness. Remember when I was a little boy? I, I noticed my dad and how he did things. Did you ever do that as, as, a, as a young child? Did you ever look at your dad or your mom and you notice how they did things? Like for me, it was little detailed things. I noticed my dad when he walked that his hands were, they weren't straight. They were kind of curled. And so I would practice that, you know. I'd walk around with my fingers curled a little bit because that's, that's how dad walked, you know. That's what Paul is saying here. You know what I love about Paul being the author of this? 
the Apostle Paul, this guy did not live in namby-pamby land. He was passionate. He was a man's man. And you know what? I'm not going to sit here and claim that every time he reacted, he reacted appropriately. Certainly the story of Paul is that before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he sinfully went after Christians because they were following Christ. He was a Pharisee who was the one standing there when the very first Christian was martyred. And it tells us that the, the clothes and the belongings of Stephen were piled at his feet, meaning he was the overseer watching the very first Christian be martyred. So clearly Paul was not always in the right Was he in the right, for example, when later on as a believer, he confronted Peter publicly in front of a group? Was he in the right when he said about the Judaizers who wanted to have circumcision practiced in the Christian church? He said, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Cut all their private parts off, in other words. Was he in the right when he said those things? I don't know. But here's my point. Whether that was sinful or whether it was right, Paul was a man who was passionate about the mission and the message of Jesus Christ, and he had emotions to deal with because of that, just like you and me. And the Holy Spirit took him, and he calls himself the chief of sinners, took this passionate, emotional guy, and he said, here's this message about how to deal with your emotions. And Paul really reminds us that between all of us, there's, there's sort of an account. Modern times, we call that a relationship bank account. It's in your crosswalk notes. The account that I have with others that keeps our relationship healthy and profitable. You and I, with every other person who's in our life, have like a little emotional bank account. And we make deposits into it when we do kind things for one another and we say kind things about one another. We, we make withdrawals when we do the opposite. And our goal is to keep that account healthy and profitable through acts of kindness and through forgiveness and through making sure that we don't make major withdrawals that we can't undo later. And that's what what Paul is talking about. And he says, I want you to mimic the Father. How did he maintain his relationship bank account with you? How did he keep his account between you and him healthy and profitable? Well, the very first principle that we see is that God always responds. He doesn't react. God responds. He doesn't react. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. Take a look at what it says in Nehemiah 9, 17 to 18. These are the the children of Israel, and they are so stubborn. They're in the wilderness of Sinai. 
And they have just been delivered from Egypt, freed from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians had been piling it on. And God pulls off one miracle of deliverance after another. I'm not going to go into all the details. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. And then one day, God calls Moses up on top of Mount Sinai, and he says, listen, I want to deliver the commandments to you. And he takes Moses up there to teach him and to help him with his leadership and and so on and so forth. And he's gone for a while. And the stubborn Israelites, well, read about it. Nehemiah 9, 17 to 18, he's reviewing the situation. Here's what he says about them. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them, God. They became stiff-necked, that means stubborn, like a, like a donkey. And in their rebellion, appointed a leader, that was Moses' brother Aaron, in order to return to their slavery. They ended up molding together uh, a golden calf that they worshipped. And they molded it together out of all the jewelry that the children of Israel uh, donated. And so they said, look, we're going to make this new God to return to their slavery. But God did not react. And when I say react, not respond, here's what I mean. He didn't just spew. Nor did he just stew. It says, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Now, if you read the account in Exodus, you will discover that God does discipline the children of Israel. In fact, some of them he disciplines so severely that they lose their lives. This same situation But God does not destroy the entire nation. And that's what Nehemiah is talking about here when he says, you responded, God. You did not react. Exodus tells us that God was angry. You're a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. God talks to Moses and he says to Moses, you know, I think we just have to destroy all of these people. But Moses, God's man, gets in dialogue with God, and he says, God, don't destroy all of them. You've made promises to them. Remember your name. And God steps back. And he says, okay, I'm not going to react. I'm going to respond. And so he responds in forgiveness, in grace, in compassion, and out of love with a little bit of discipline as well. And then he moves on, and the children of Israel remain his children. When we talk about mimicking God, that's an important principle for us to remember. Are we going to react, or are we going to respond? The difference is, are you capable, once you're in that situation, of stepping back emotionally, thinking it through, 
Maybe getting a piece of advice as God even came to Moses and saying, okay, how can I respond with wisdom? Take a look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 29. This is is what God gives Paul to tell us. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. When you decide how you're going to respond, Paul says, think this, not how can I best rip into this person? How can I best tear them down because they've hurt me horribly? I want you to underline these words. Only what is helpful for building others up. So that when you're responding, you're responding by asking this question. How can I build this person up, not rip them down? And then notice that phrase, according to their needs. Their needs, not yours. Asking yourself, what what does this person need that is creating this conflict between us? And is there a need that can be met? Can I say something? Can I do something? Can I respond in a way that will put the oil of gladness over these troubled waters? That it may benefit those who listen. So you're not spewing, because spewing is about getting back, ripping down, just making sure. Spewing is a lot about yourself. It's about, I just got to get these feelings on the table. And you're not stewing either. You're not just playing it, ruminating on it over and over again in your head. You're not playing the volcano. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Take out the anger garbage. Bitterness, just holding on to anger. Raging, that's spewing. Brawling, that's when it comes to blows. Slander is when you're stewing. But what happens so often? You know, sometimes we argue that stewing is better than spewing. Why? Because spewing can often leave a lot of emotional damage in its trail, can't it? But stewing can too. Because when we stew, there is a huge temptation to slander someone. To say something when they're not there. Or... To not say something when you ought to. You ever had that happen where somebody has asked you something about another person and that little, that little uh, tape plays in your head where your mom says, well, if you can't say anything nice about someone, don't say anything at all, and you pause too long, and the person just goes, oh, there's something going on there, isn't there? Stewing is dangerous, too, because it can lead to gossip. And it can lead to undermining. And so what what our goal is from Paul here is to stay on the middle track between spewing and stewing. Along with every form of malice, that's evil intent. Here's how I look at it, just to summarize this point. 
Paul is really saying our anger has an expiration date. Every now and then, Julie and I will go into the fridge and we'll look down there in the veggie and fruit drawer and in the meat drawer and go, what did we leave in here too long? What's expired? Or now that we're down to just the two of us, now Audrey's with us, now that makes it a little bit better. Uh, There's three of us. But every now and then we'll look at that milk carton and we'll notice it's kind of beginning to bulge a little bit. And we look at the expiration date and we go, and you open it and that kind of foul odor comes out. You enjoying this picture? (laughs) You see... That milk carton is expired and it's ready to spew. And there's sometimes fruits and vegetables that are just stewing down there in the vegetable drawer all by themselves and they're becoming rotten, right? When Paul says get rid of, he's saying check the fridge of your heart. Are there things in there that you need to go grab and throw in the garbage can? Is there bitterness? Is there rage? Is there anger? Is there temptation to slander? Is there evil intent in your heart? Go grab those things that are going to lead you to spew or stew and take them out and throw them away. Then, because your emotions are clean and your heart is clean, you're going to be better able to respond instead of react and imitate God. So to keep short accounts, number one, I will imitate God's careful selectiveness. He's selective about his words. He's selective about his actions. He is selective even about his emotions when he becomes angry. Now, here's a second thing. God's love emerges from who he is, not who we are. What that means is God, when he loves us, is not responding or reacting to the good things we've done for him. You heard Jonathan say a few moments ago that God forgives us not because we've done anything good to deserve God's forgiveness. Look at what it says in 1 John four sixteen. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Notice what that says. God is love. Underline that. That's just who he is. Notice it's not saying God has love or that God loves. He is love. That's his identity. So when he loves, he's just being who he is. Paul says this, go back to Ephesians 4. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. As dearly loved children. Who are you? You are children of God. Go back up a verse, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, notice all these just and as phrases, just as in Christ God forgave you. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Those just as phrases are important because they're really saying, who are you? And is your love only present when somebody does something kind to you? Or do you love just because, like God, that's who you are? 
You see, as children of God, this is what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So what we want to do is make our love not reactive, but proactive. In other words, when someone is kind of an extra grace required person in your life, do you have those EGR people? You know what an EGR person is? Extra grace required? I have some EGR people in my life. I'll bet most of you have EGR people in your life. And when, when those people need your undeserved love, because that's what grace means, where do you get that from? Well, you draw it down from God. You don't wait for them to do something kind and then respond. Okay, finally, they said they were sorry. Now I can love them again. No, you say, God forgave me. God was kind to me. And he did it all undeservedly, so I didn't earn it. That's grace. And when there are EGR people in your life, you're going to pull down from God and you give grace to them instead of waiting for them to give you a reason and an excuse. Because then it's not grace. Then they've earned it. So to keep short accounts, I will imitate God's steadiness. God's love is proactive. It comes from who he is, not who we are. And we can imitate that. We can mimic that. We can go around going, ah, my dad's hands are kind of curled. Maybe I'll walk like that. The father's love is proactive. Maybe I can walk like that and mimic our father in how we love one another. So to keep short accounts, we're going to imitate God's steadiness because our love is not going to be coming from whether that person did something nice or whether that person said, I'm sorry. It's going to be because we just are love as God's children. And here's the last one. God's love holds nothing back. It sacrifices all. You know how hard it is to sacrifice yourself in conflict? To kind of just let it go? I don't know if you've been following this cute little story. <laughs> Alvin Gentry and Kevin Garnett, guys, you follow this in the, in the sports page. I love this story. Here's Suns coach Alvin Gentry and Kevin Garnett still are battling even after their team series. Gentry riled Garnett. That's our son's coach, Kevin, uh, 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 Alvin Gentry, riled Kevin Garnett by telling KTAR that he lost respect for Garnett when he took a shot at Fry's groin in a January game. Don't know if you've seen the, the clip of that, but it's pretty cl- uh, clear that Kevin Garnett took a little shot at, at our man Channing Fry's groin. Um, at least it appears that way. Don't want any lawsuits against me. Just write me an email. After Wednesday's son's loss at Boston, Garnett was asked what he was saying to Gentry toward the end of the game and said, Alvin Gentry was asking me for tickets for the first round of the playoffs, and I told him I'd hook him up, basically saying, you won't be in the playoffs, so if you need tickets for the playoffs, you know, I'll give you some to my team, right? Gentry retorted, and pretty fast, 
He's still behind in the ticket department because of the number of tickets we got him when he was still playing for Minnesota. Humorous, quick, biting. But at what point do you say enough is enough? At what point do you say, you know what? Even if it means sacrificing a little bit of my own reputation and and being done with it, let's be done with it. Let's move ahead. And how tough is that? And how tough? We're going to spend the next six weeks talking about it. How tough was it for Jesus Christ to come down to planet Earth Because he wanted to end the conflict between you and God. How tough was it for him to have people around him accusing him of being a liar and a deceiver? And that your miracles are because you're a follower of Satan. And his his disciples questioning him and not not believing in him. These are the guys that are following him around every day and they they still don't believe in him even after they've seen all of his miracles. They can't wrap their brain around it. And he's so patient, so patient with them. He hardly ever responds in anger. Once or twice when it really plays into the plan of salvation. How tough must it have been To have been beaten, spit upon, had a crown of thorns placed on his head, led, crucified, mocked by thieves while he hung on the cross. How tough must it have been to make that sacrifice of self the God-man? Not just a man, the God-man making a sacrifice so that you, so that I could be reconciled and brought back together with God and the conflict between us end. Forgiveness and love is ours. Look at what it says in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. God holds nothing back. He sacrifices all so that there can be reconciliation and forgiveness to fill up that relationship bank account. The only thing that spews forth from Jesus is love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. The only thing that is stewing around in Jesus' mind is, how do I get this plan of salvation done? How do we get these people back together with the Heavenly Father? And Paul writes to us, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. He's talking about reacting in a poor way now, living in the darkness. Surely you heard of him, meaning Jesus, and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's your third way to get to forgiveness, to bring about reconciliation, to fill up the emotional bank account, to keep short accounts. I will imitate God in this, in his self sacrificing love. I will hold nothing back. I will sacrifice all so that relationships can be held intact. Do you notice what it says in verses 1 and 2? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. I'm back to our original verses. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus did that for you. Jesus did that for me. And now he says, can we change our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and do the same for one another? And I pray that we can. You know, as we wrap up this series, I'm excited to announce something today. And I'm, I'm really going to the overall series, not just today's message, just about relationships. And, and of course, forgiveness and, and, and reconciliation is so important to that. And there, it's, it's a difficult walk. But at Crosswalk, we stepped back and we said, okay, we, we want to make this relationships in the 21st century something more than just, than, than just a series. And we're going to do something different. We, we went out and we, we researched. We, we happened to be blessed to have uh, a, a, a program sent to us that we looked at and, and, and looked into. And I'm really excited to announce this to you today because I believe that in the 21st century, this is going to be one of the ways that churches really get connected. You notice that our, uh, our graphic looks a little bit like f- Facebook. Well, there's a new internet program out there called The Table Project. And I'm announcing this to you today because I want you to watch your inbox this coming week. Sometime during this coming week, you're going to get an email from us announcing the table project. And just very briefly, what the table project is, is a sort of Facebook for a congregation where we can connect with each other and communicate with one another over the Internet. And we can get our our, uh, our, our thoughts out there just like you can on Facebook, but we can do it in a way that will serve and, and help this congregation really come together. There will be a place where you can do groups. You can get together in your growth group and, and have a little internal messaging system. There's a thing called a prayer wall. Let's say you want people to be praying for you about something. And, and you'll be able to actually put that prayer request up and, and, and have the entire congregation pray over this thing that you're concerned about if you want. Let's say, for example, and I, I've had a gentleman come up to me recently. He said, you know, I, I love to ride my motorcycle, but I would really love to get together with other, other people in Crosswalk who love to ride motorcycles, but how do I communicate that message and get that group of motorcycle guys together so that we can go on a Saturday ride together? 
The table project is going to allow us to do that. We talked a while back about our vision to be there for hurting people, people who don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you've lost your job or you need a roof over your head. The table project is going to be a way where we can easily, more easily, get the word out to others so that they can step up and help serve you or you can raise your hand and say, is there someone out there that needs a roof over their head? Because I got some extra room in my house. And so when you get this email this week, I want to strongly encourage you to take some time, click on that, and find out more about the Table Project. We would love to to have you be part of that. If we don't have your email address yet, this would be a really important reason to, to let us have it so that you can be part of this important experiment here at Crosswalk. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have blessed us You have blessed us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. You have blessed us with forgiveness and reconciliation and mercy and more than anything else, your love. And you love us because that's who you are. Lord, help us to imitate your love. Help us to have forgiving, merciful, gracious hearts. Help us to be proactive, not reactive. Help us to, to not react, but, but respond thoughtfully and wisely when we, we feel ourselves angry. And help us more than anything else, Lord. Help us not to spew and help us not to stew when we're angry. Give us a spirit of self-sacrifice and love like you have so that we can restore relationships and bring people together and bring people together with you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.